Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And let me give you sort of the backdrop of this particular passage before I jump, jump into this passage. The, t- the title of this message will be called Standing with Jesus. And I want to talk through this. This is a very popular story, and I hope that what we unpack this morning will be helpful. Hey, Kurt. Yeah. Before you go on, just because I don't want you being uh, distracted from. Yeah. Your mic needs to be closer to your face. Closer? So we can get rid of an echo. Is that better or no? Bill? Do I sound like a creepy... Uh... Like that? Is that better? Okay, good. Now now I sound like... Now it feels like it's 3 a.m. on the radio. And tonight we're going to... For all you late night listeners, we're going to... All right, Kurt, that's enough. Preach the word, brother. Special selection. The guest preacher gets to do what he wants, so I'm sorry. You invited me, and the Spirit is leading me, so. And now, back to our broadcast. All right, so Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. Let me give you some backdrop here. This, this story begins with Jesus finding out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. Now, this is a big deal. This is the John the Baptist that was chosen by God before the foundation of the world to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Even though he was only six months uh, older than Jesus, his job was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And this is the same John the Baptist who was living a righteous life but experienced significant temptation because he was put in prison for living righteously. And we know that this is legitimate because in Luke chapter 7, his disciples come and tell John, who's in prison, that Jesus just healed a man from the dead in a town called Nain. And John's response is simply this. Go ask him, Jesus, if he really is the Messiah or are we expecting someone else? Now, this is the John the Baptist who said, there's the Lamb of God, when he would see Jesus walking. This is the same John the Baptist that leapt in his mother's womb when, when Mary came, when he heard the voice of Mary, they, they were filled with the Spirit, and at, at a few months old, he leapt in his womb. This is the same John the Baptist who, who went to Jesus and said, I must be baptized by you. This is the same John the Baptist that said, you are greater than me because he comes before me, even though he was born on earth before Jesus. This is the same John the Baptist who, at the time of Jesus walking, was the only person who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's saying, are you really the Son of God or are we expecting someone else? His disciples come and tell Jesus, and Jesus says, tell John what you see. The blind see, the lame walk, and the deaf have ears. Well, they just told him, you healed someone from the dead. It doesn't get much more serious than that. And he's still questioning. And then Jesus said, blessed is the one who was not offended because of me. Jesus knew that John's question was because he was offended. He was offended at his circumstance. Now, Scripture doesn't always walk us through how people feel, but he's a human being. 
And for John the Baptist to ask, are you really the Messiah? It means he's questioning because of his circumstances. He's probably in this prison wondering, why am I here? I'm living righteously. Why am I here? Why am I not out helping advance the kingdom? Why am I in prison for doing the very thing that God has asked me to do? And now I feel like I'm being punished for it. And the circumstances are so significant that John the Baptist, the one person who knows who Jesus is, says, is he really the Messiah? And so Jesus said, blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. Because God will allow things to happen in our lives that will offend us. And it didn't escape John the Baptist. It will not escape us. And so this John the Baptist has now been beheaded. And Jesus finds out about this in Matthew 14. And the scripture tells us that Jesus wants to go be alone with the father. He's walking. This is his cousin. This is his relative. He's grieving over the loss of his relative. He was a human being. And on his way, as he's walking, he sees that there are a bunch of people following him. And the scriptures tell us that he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So instead of going to be with the father, he grieves that he's grieving. He stops and goes out on a boat and begins to teach the people. And then after feeding 5,000 men at least, roughly 10 to 12,000 if you consider women and children, he dismisses his disciples on a boat and he goes to pray with the Father. And our story picks up beginning in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, and I quote, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, this is a familiar scene for many of us, if not all of us. Sometimes our familiarity allows us to miss the particulars of of ways that we can benefit and grow and be challenged by narratives like this. So I pray this morning because I believe you led me to change what I initially thought I was going to preach 
You know these people much better than I do. These are my brothers and sisters, but they're your sons and daughters. And you know them intimately. So I pray that what you have me to speak this morning would be, first, God glorifying to you. It would honor you. And then secondly, it would be encouraging and equipping and to some degree convicting for the rest of us, including yours truly. I know that no message, no gifting, no, no humor, no anything makes an impact on people's hearts unless your spirit open our hearts up to believe and apply what's said. So this isn't about me this morning. And while I'm grateful that people are excited to hear me speak, the gift of preaching and the personality means nothing unless your spirit comes and does the work that it needs to do. Because I am unable to make this be beneficial to anyone. So my faithfulness will be measured by what I say. But your faithfulness is continually seen by what you will have them do. And I pray that that would continue this morning for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's talk about this scene, all right? Some of us, when you read this scene, um, there's a lot going on here, and there are things that we're familiar with, but let's, let's get into some of the particulars. So this verse starts off in 22 with Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 people, as recorded, he puts his disciples in the boat and dismissed the crowds. And it says that he, he dismissed them, and then he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, which was customary for Jesus to do. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus to go off and to go pray to be with the Father. He modeled for us this dependence on God, even though he was the Son of God which is a fascinating topic and a different story altogether. And so he dismissed the crowds and he goes to be alone. But the disciples that he put on the boat, the 12 of those men, they're on boats and the boats go far away because the wind is blowing and it moves them far away. Now, this is described as the fourth watch of the night in verse 25. Let me make sure we understand what the fourth watch of the night means, because when we read a story like this, we are on the other side of knowing who Jesus is. And sometimes we can import what we think right now into a story and think, well, why did they not know that that was Jesus walking on the water? And we can suddenly be self-righteous towards these men. But let's just step back and look at the specifics. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, I don't know about you. I'm a night owl. I like to be up late. I can be up sometimes at late. But it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. At 3 a.m., between 6 a.m., you are irrational. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You're irrational, right? I don't care. I'm a night owl, but at that time of day, I'm irrational. I mean, it's 4.18 in the morning. It's dark and these men are on a boat. You are irrational at 4.18 in the morning unless it's your job to get up at 4 in the morning to go to work. We're all irrational. All of us. So it makes sense to me that these men would be afraid. I'm irrational at 4 in the morning. In fact, I made one of the dumbest decisions of my life at that time. I was watching. I couldn't sleep. And I got up and I didn't want to watch anything that might be crazy on TV at 4 in the morning. So I went to a channel to help me go back to sleep. And I, I guarantee you, this is a channel that I've never gone to in my life. As a matter of fact, I don't think any self-respecting man would go to this particular channel. And I know it's not polite to say in this day and age, and if you are a man and you watch this particular channel, then talk to me afterwards. I'll pray for you. But I went to QVC. <laughs> and I knew that this channel would help me go back to sleep. 
and I, th- I assumed it was 411 or 418. I assumed I'd be asleep by 421. So I'm watching, a, a, I think it was a brooch, some women's jewelry. And just as I was starting to doze off, this music came on, dun, 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 and they showed a big dude like me, and it said before underneath it. And then they showed another dude like me, 100 pounds lighter, and it said after. Then they showed the dude again, and it said before. And then it said after. And then it talked about this jump rope. And they began to explain, this is, you can't make this up. So they showed me this jump rope and, and I'm watching this and this guy, and then they have different people giving brief testimonies on how, and they show these before photos and after, and they look at it and they talk about this jump rope. It's like this thick. And they show how this jump rope is specifically designed for weight loss and all this stuff. And I'm getting excited. And after watching this for about 11 minutes, they say it's only three easy payments of $39.99 for a jump rope. Now, it's 418. I'm irrational. So I'm thinking, that's brilliant. Like, this is perfect. My wife stumbles out of the bedroom, and she's like, babe, what are you doing? And I was like, sweetie, there's a jump rope here on QVC for weight loss. Look at these people. And she said, well, how much is it? And I didn't tell her because I was irrational, but I wasn't dumb. So I didn't tell her it was $120. And so she went back to sleep and I hesitated and I said, man, I'm getting it. That before and after photo was convincing. So I called and I ordered it and the jump rope came. It didn't work. It didn't work. And when I sent it back, the company filed chapter 11 bankruptcy. Look, I was irrational. At four in the morning, you're irrational. So the disciples are sitting there on a boat. They're half asleep, it's windy, and they look up and they see Jesus just walking on the water. And I bet you he probably looked at them like, what y'all doing? (laughs) And they think it's a ghost. You know, there's a lot of demonic activity in their day. It's a ghost. They're terrified. It makes sense. We would be terrified. In fact, if I was in that scene, there'd have been two more verses that said, and Curtis jumped out and swam away from the boat as far as he could. And Jesus stretched his arm out across the lake and pulled him back. I'd have been gone. I don't know. I don't know. Let me tell you something. Black people don't do stuff like this. We don't do stuff like that. As a matter of fact, there are certain ways I will never die. Let me tell you a couple ways I will not die. I will never die by crocodile or alligator bite. I know it's not the Lord's will for me to die by a shark or anything like that. I will not die bungee jumping or jumping out of a plane with a parachute. I won't die. I can tell you why. Because I'll never be in a situation where that's going to happen. I love Shark Week, but I'm here and they're on the screen. I'm irrational, but I'm not dumb. They're irrational. They're irrational. And here's how Jesus responds to their irrationability. Here's what he says to them. I love this. These are such comforting words. He says this, take heart in verse 26, 27. But immediately he spoke to them, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And then after he says that, something dramatic happens, beginning in verse 28. Dramatic. Here's what happens. So Peter answered him after he says that, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. So Peter, this is the verse, 29, got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, 
he was afraid. Now, we gloss over the particulars here, but let's zoom in and wonder, why is this happening? This is actually an interesting reality. So Peter didn't know it was the Lord. Jesus said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So however windy it is and however dark it is, it's clear that Jesus didn't transfigure himself, right? That the transfiguration in Mark 9, Jesus was so bright, he could have easily done that. He doesn't transfigure himself. So these men are in the middle of the water, a body of water. There are no lights anywhere. It's pitch black, and all they hear is the voice. And they hear it say, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The language is similar to them, it's familiar to them. So Peter says, Lord, is that you? Doesn't clearly recognize who Jesus is because sometimes God's faith doesn't want it to be sight. So all of a sudden, Peter decides to put his foot in his mouth and he steps out. Now, we don't know how Peter's processing this situation. Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. Now, this is a real boat. So the the boat's probably wobbly. So Peter finally gets up and he gets out and he walks on water. Now, Peter's a fisherman, okay? Peter has tried to fish. And it's like, so we don't know what he's thinking, but we know he's walking on water. And he may be thinking, man, I wonder if that big mouth bass I threw back is trying to catch me. Well, I wonder if, so he's walking. We don't know what he's thinking, but we know he knows you just don't walk on water. You just don't do this. So he's walking and he gets to Jesus. He gets to Jesus. He walks to Jesus. Now he can see him. His eyes have clearly adjusted to the night by this time. He walks to Jesus and it says, but he saw the wind and he was afraid. So why do you get out of the boat and you have the courage to walk to Jesus? Now you see that it is Jesus But the wind that's blowing is what you focus on, and he becomes afraid. Why does one of the disciples become afraid? Maybe Peter was thinking that Jesus, if this is the same Jesus, he could could stop this. You know, just six chapters earlier in Matthew 8, similar situation, except Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. And the boat is rocking. The waves are going back and forth. And the disciples are legitimately afraid. Jesus is napping. I mean, he's God. He knows that this is not even a big deal. It's like when there's a thunderstorm, my kids sometimes get scared. I got three boys, nine, eight, and six. And they get scared. I'm like, all right, come sit with puppy. They come sit with me and whatever. Just sitting with me makes them less afraid. As if, like, if it really is a thunderstorm, I can't stop it. But, you know, what am I going to (laughs) do? Poppy, make it stop. All right, knock it off. You know, it's just not going to happen. So but in Matthew 8, they go to Jesus and wake him up. Aren't you, aren't you afraid that we're going to die? And, I, you know, Jesus wasn't sinful, so he wasn't self-righteous. But I, there were times Jesus was like, man, you said, this, that was a good nap. Man, why are you waking me up? <laughs> Jesus was like, man, what, you know, why are you waking me? Don't you have little faith? And then he says, peace be still, and everything calms down. And he goes back to sleep. That's cool. That's how I would be. Knock it off. He was gone. 
So Peter knows that that's a possibility. So as he's walking to Jesus, even though Jesus is there, the wind is still blowing and he's afraid. And maybe Peter is thinking he wants Jesus to peace be still the wind. But Jesus doesn't peace be still the wind because the wind blowing revealed something to Peter that he wouldn't have known if the wind stopped. And it was that Peter's faith was not in the Lord. You see, he was more aware of the wind blowing than the God who was sustaining him in the midst of the wind. And so even though Peter is with Jesus, there's a relationship there. He's with Jesus. The wind blowing, even though he's with Jesus, made him afraid. It made him afraid. It made him afraid. The wind is intentional. The wind is intentional. Because he could have easily made the wind stop. So it would be easy for Peter to walk up to Jesus, crack a joke or two, and then probably challenge the other guys. Ah, you bums, you scared to get out of the water. But he doesn't. Jesus lets the wind blow, and it's intentional because the wind always reveals who do you really trust. It always does. Always does. It revealed that Peter's faith was not in the Lord. The wind is intentional. It's intentional. The question is, who are we looking at when it's blowing? The story continues. It gets more crazy. So the wind is intentional. It's blowing. He walks to Peter in verse 30. He walks to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. It's an irrational fear in light of this. So the wind is intentional, but there's something else that's intentional, even more so. And we see it in verses 29 through 31. You guys don't end at 1130, do you? You end at noon. Okay, good. Because we was going to break the rules today. If it was 1130. And so he says in verse 29, he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked to the water, in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, all right? Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, this is an interesting story. This is where it gets even further interesting. Because Peter comes to Jesus, he sees the wind and he's afraid, okay? But now he's starting to sink. He's still standing with Jesus, but he's starting to sink. His focus on the wind is ruining the faith that he has, and that faith is now decreasing. It's not just he's afraid of the wind, like my children are of a thunderstorm, but when they sit with their dad and they lay on my chest, And they're chilling, they're okay. No matter how loud the thunderstorm or the lightning cracks, when they sit with their dad, my kids feel safe. My oldest son sometimes has, he's afraid, he's the last one to go to sleep, and he can be afraid sometimes. And if I'm still up, he'll go in my wife's, he'll go in our bedroom, and my wife will say, text me, uh, Santiago is, can't sleep, and he's afraid he wants to come downstairs with you. So I say, let him come down, let him downstairs. 
Then he'll come downstairs and be like, Papa, I can't, no big deal. I'll give him a hug and a kiss, say, go ahead, I'll let you sleep down here. And then I'll sleep down on this couch with him that's the most uncomfortable. It's the best couch in the world to sit on, but to sleep on, it's, it's, it's like it's not from the Lord. <laughs> and so when you sit on it, it's incredible. I mean, I can doze off. I've learned how to fall asleep sitting up on that couch. But when you lay down, the Lord is not, the presence of the Lord flees when you lay down. But I, but I love my kids, so if he, you know, I'll, I'll lay down with him. So he's, he's totally comfortable. And he goes out and he goes right to sleep because his dad's there. But Peter doesn't have that faith here because he's with Jesus. Now think about all that he's seen Jesus do at this point. You just saw him feed 10,000 people and have food left over. We've all been to smorgasbords that say all you can eat and be almost no food left 45 minutes later. He feeds 10,000 people, 5,000 in Scripture recorded, but 10,000 probably with women and children. He's been there. He's seen Jesus heal demons, cast demons out of people and heal people without even going there. He was there with Jairus' daughter when he said, can you please heal my daughter? And Jesus said, go. your, Your faith has made her well. He's been there. And he's with Jesus and he's afraid. And that fear is not just fear. It begins to affect his ability to stand up. He loses faith. It affects his ability to be able to function as a believer. And so he begins to sink as verse 30 tells us. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? The ironic thing about this passage is Scripture gives us no indication that Jesus was struggling to stay afloat. It doesn't say that when Peter got to Jesus and was afraid, he was was struggling to hold himself up. Jesus is unscathed at this reality. So he's not struggling. He's standing there in the midst of this storm, showing his authority over the wind and the waves and even Peter's fear. If you set aside all that he's done up to this point, he's not struggling to stand and he wasn't struggling to keep Peter afloat until Peter saw the wind and became afraid. And so we realize there's something else that's intentional. See, the wind is intentional, but the presence of God in the midst of the wind is intentional. And this was the one thing Peter forgot. You see, Peter forgot who he was standing with. He forgot all that he's seen Jesus do. He forgot that you're standing with the person that you believe was the son of God. And isn't this indicative of the Christian life? Many of us can remember what it was like to not be a Christian. And remember when you finally believe in Jesus and the excitement that you have and the confidence you have and your desire to go share the gospel with people and your commitment to holiness and you stop listening to all non-Christian music and you don't even want to watch movies that don't glorify God. You don't want to do anything that glorifies God. Everything is about the Lord until he brings you through a difficult time and all of a sudden that confidence in Jesus starts to become like John the Baptist and we wonder Are you really as good as y'all thought you were? You see, we're no different than Peter. If we take Peter out and replace ourselves, the question then becomes, what is the wind in your life this morning? 
I, I, with a church of this many people, a room of this many people, it is impossible that the wind is not blowing hard for some, maybe all, of those in attendance. What is the wind in your life? Is it financial? Is it relational? Have you been offended by another believer so much so that you're shocked? You're a believer. You're standing with the Lord. Are you sinking this morning? I don't know the particulars because I don't know your church. So I'm not going to give categories that may or may not land. But I would at least ask the question for you to consider what is the wind in your life this morning? And the next question is, what are you looking at? You see, in this situation, the wind was a literal reality. But for us, there's circumstances. This is still a circumstance that Peter was facing. And if you notice the impact on Peter, it's not like just because he's standing with Jesus and has already professed faith and belief in Jesus up to this point, that his doubting and his focus on the wind still allowed Jesus, still allowed him to sink. So just because we're believers and, and we have walked with the Lord and have had confidence in Jesus and the wind can still blow and we can focus on all these circumstances that don't seem to go right and we forget the very same thing that Peter is forgetting is that Jesus stands with us in the midst of the wind and that it's intentional because his presence is intentional. What is the wind in your life? And do you find it difficult to notice that Jesus is standing with you? Or are you like Peter, losing faith in the very thing, in the very person of him? You see, Peter's losing faith in the very person of God. The very person of God. He's losing faith. And so that faith looks like you're sinking. There are consequences for losing faith in God. When you're in a church community and you begin to lose faith in God and you find yourself focusing on the wind, there are consequences for that because losing faith has a number of different applications. But I, I can assure you, having been a pastor for some time and definitely a lead pastor for some, for some time now, that when you begin to lose faith, you don't lose faith in a God that you can't see. You lose faith in the God that's working in the people that you can see. You see, remember in, in Acts, Acts 9, God tells Saul, before he was Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Saul had nothing to do with Jesus' persecution. Jesus is saying, the people that believe in me, I'm so intimately connected to that when you persecute them, you persecute me. 
So God is in the midst of his people. But when we start losing faith and focusing on the wind, we lose faith for the relationships and friendships and trust in the people of God. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Can we be honest for a minute and we in church, right? We don't see him. And we don't have audible conversations with God, most of us. At least not on the regular. Anyone who has an audible conversation with God regularly is in St. Elizabeth's in a padded room. Most of us do not have that kind of relationship. So we have faith that God is doing things by what? The circumstances that we're around and the people that we live with. The people who profess to believe like us. And so when people, when circumstances start to get affected and people get affected, we lose faith in God, not just maybe in the vertical relationship. That's there too. We withdraw from fellowship with him, but we lose it in the people in the horizontal. You see, in this situation, Peter lost faith in the horizontal because he's looking at God. Are you losing faith in the horizontal? Are you losing faith in what's ahead? Which may mean you're losing faith in what's above. The wind is intentional because it reveals where we need to direct our faith. And if we're sinking, then our faith is not in the Lord. But his presence is intentional. His presence is intentional. He's with his people. And he allows the winds to blow. Do not think for a moment that he can't peace be still the wind. So the question isn't, why won't he? The question is, what does he want me to get out of this? Now, many of us may say, hey, he was with Jesus, though. He saw him. He was with him. And we look at this story and think, there's no way that I would have done that. You know how I remember when I was, when I used to travel a lot and do concerts, I'd have people walk up to me and say stuff like this. Wow, your testimony is amazing. I got one of those come from the street, been to prison, drugs, guns, background, murder, all that, all that stuff. And people would be like, man, your testimony is amazing. I wish I had a testimony like that. I grew up in the church and blah, 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 blah. And I would be so blown away by that. Be blown away by that. And I would always tell them, listen, my testimony isn't the one that glorifies God the most. Because all I've done is sin a lot. And now I carry those habits with me. But you, you live in the same world I do. You live with the same desires to do all these sinful things, and you're saying you haven't done these things because you grew up in the church, which means you trusted the Lord and and possibly your parents. That's a much greater testimony than mine. To say that you haven't done all of these things in a world where you can't even watch a toothpaste commercial without watching a girl be immodestly dressed. You can't even buy some deodorant without it making you think, buy this and you'll get to have sex. This is the world we live in. And you say, I haven't done these things because I trust the Lord. That's a powerful testimony. I got friends when I do weddings and I tell my friends who are in the street that I'm marrying two people and these people are virgins. They're blown away as if like that's prehistoric. Like, huh? They were virgins? Like that still exists? The greatest testimonies aren't the people who sin a lot like me. 
They're the people who would rather trust the Lord, their church, and their parents to not sin. And I can tell you right now, I got three boys, nine, eight, and six. I would much rather have them to have that boring, I grew up in the church testimony, than that amazing, I went to prison and did drugs and guns and all of that any day. Any day. People are just wanting this great conversion story. This great conversion story. So they can doubt the love of God in their life. I wish I just had this. How do I know? And we can think, how do we know that, that, that Jesus' presence is with us because we don't see him, we don't feel him. And in this story, Peter is looking at him. He can touch Jesus. He knows that Jesus is there. What confidence do I have that Jesus stands with me in the midst of this wind that's blowing? Well, the confidence that we have that Jesus stands with us is that he stood for us on the cross. You see, in this scene, Peter didn't have that yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Peter hadn't understood what it meant. In fact, on a number of occasions after this, Peter tried to stop Jesus when he would say he's going to suffer and then be killed, given over to the Gentiles and then be killed. Jesus had to rebuke Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. Not that Satan entered Peter, but that your thinking is satanic. You see, we can't say that Jesus stands with us because he's literally in front of us like Peter. Our confidence is that he stood for us on the cross. Peter didn't have that confidence yet. And ironically, all the supernatural things that Jesus did when he was alive don't make up for all of the ways that people believe without seeing those things after he died and rose from the dead. Our faith is actually stronger than Peter's because we have the crucifixion. We have Jesus dying on the cross. We have the resurrection and the implications of those realities for 2,000 years or just under that. We see the church. We see all these people's lives who have changed. And even though we live in a culture that has eroded the confidence and the, and the, of, of the faith in many people's lives, Jesus has brought his church through way worse things than what's happening right now. The cross is the proof. Jesus stood for us. That gives us confidence that he stands with us. And it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith. If anyone here thinks that faith is believing in Jesus, good. But faith is continuing to believe all the time. Because the wind is blowing in many people's lives in this room. And I'm saying that as what I think to be true. It's blowing. And it's intentional. Because God wants you to wonder, who are you looking at? Are you sinking this morning? If you recognize that this is a reality and you find yourself sinking, here is the good news. The one thing that Peter did right in this passage, he did one thing right. It's the one thing to imitate in this passage if you are sinking this morning. And by sinking, I don't mean fast. Let me give you some categories if you're sinking. 
if you're no longer desirous of prayer. Do you know prayer? You know what's interesting? Prayer is the easiest thing for the Christian to do. You can do prayer at any moment, at any time. But yet, anytime you hear a series on prayer, the majority of Christians will feel a degree of condemnation because we don't pray enough. It's the easiest thing to do is pray. We can pray at any moment. There were times I'm getting, I'm in wild situations and I'm just quietly praying, Lord, please give me grace. Please help me. I'm in counseling situations and I'm like, Lord, please help me to know what to say. Please help me to ask questions. And by his grace, I'm, I'm listening. I can hear what they're saying, but I'm praying. And I don't even know it. Nowadays, to be honest with you, because I fit the description of many of the people who have issues with law enforcement, I pray when I get, when I drive. I'm not here to speak on the validity of those things, but it's a real fear for me. It's a real temptation for me. Even driving here, I'm like, man, we in Frederick. <laughs> it's a real, it's a reality. And it's funny until I go, whoop, whoop. And I have friends of the police. I'm not bashing police. But my cell phone may look like something. My skin is a weapon to people who don't have this color in many situations. And so fear for safety could lose my, I could lose my life on something really dumb. That's a temptation for me. And in certain situations, that wind is blowing. When my kids are asking me, are you going to be home tonight? That's a real temptation. It may not be yours. It might not be your wind. All wind isn't the same. But all of us recognize that it's windy. A withdrawal from prayer, an ambivalence, a withdrawal from fellowship. Because that means, man, I'm just focusing on the wind. The biggest, one of the biggest, where you know you're sinking is if you're complaining. If you, want, if you think of the Old Testament, I, funny how God did. God was real direct. He, was, he seems like he was much more direct in the Old Testament. People would complain about Moses' leadership, and God would just kill him. <laughs> it was just wild. It wasn't, I don't think it was like the, the, the God of the Old Testament was a mean dude and Jesus was new. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, right? So he was there. So Jesus approved. Yeah, send them, tw- send them serpents to bite all them people. Let's kill 23,000 of them. That was an agreed-upon decision by the Trinity. <laughs> that was agreed-upon. Oh, they complaining? Ow, ow, ow. They just dropping. It was like a human domino. It was the largest human domino effect in history. If Ripley was alive back then, it'd be covered. He was just direct. But complaining is one of the biggest signs of I'm focusing on the wind. Because God allows the circumstances and the wind to blow for a purpose. And the purpose is to help us have faith that he can sustain us in the midst of the wind. No matter how hard it's blowing. The wind is intentional because it reveals what our faith is in. But his presence is intentional because it reveals where our faith should be. And lastly, there's one more intentionality in this passage. Before we get there, I want to say this. If you find yourself sinking this morning, the one thing that Peter did in this passage 
would say this, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. This save is not, don't think of save as salvific. This isn't soteriological. This isn't about, uh, uh, this isn't eschatological salvation. Like, please forgive me for my sins and save me. No, he's talking about help me. This save is Lord, help me. I'm sinking. I'm afraid. And it is okay, church. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to struggle. It's okay. What's not okay is to stay there when the presence of God is with us. I told you about John the Baptist, and I'll tell you why I brought that up, because that didn't have anything to directly do with this passage, but you know why I bring that up? Because that's one of the most encouraging things to me. Because if John the Baptist can doubt God, John the Baptist. Jesus told the people who were listening after he said, read read Luke 7 when you get a chance. After he said, blessed is the one who's not offended because of me, he turned to the people and said, John the Baptist is the greatest born of all women. That includes Moses, David, Elijah, all of them. You know why? Because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets that would proclaim the new covenant is coming. And now that Jesus is here, he's the greatest born of all the prophets. If John the Baptist can struggle with his faith in God based on his circumstances, then you best believe that you and I will struggle with ours. It's okay, church. The wind blows. We will be afraid and we will sink. But we cannot keep sinking. At some point, we have to say, Lord, save me. Peter says that in verse 30, Lord, save me. Help me. Please. Help me. Help me pray. Help me have faith. Help me believe. In Jude, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Lord, save me. Help me. This is what we do when we're sinking. And it's not just a phrase. It's a posture of the heart. And it may take time before you feel like what what happens in verse 31. It says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's a great question to ask. Sometimes when Jesus asks that question, I don't get why he asked it, because it's like, man, everybody would ask that question based on the circumstances. Everyone would doubt that. But he says that right here. You know why he's saying that? Because he's like, Peter, you walked up to me. I'm standing with you. Why did you doubt that I would be able to help you in this? Why would you doubt that I would even let you drown? Jesus asked all of us to come, not just in salvation, but in the particular things that we're going to walk through. The winds are blowing and we can't always see Jesus, but in faith we try to walk to where he is and he doesn't let the wind blow and he doesn't turn on the lights and he doesn't make it easy. And then he says, why do we have, why do we doubt? Why do we have little faith? 
And it's simple because like Peter, see, Peter, see, Peter wants a God who always peace be still the wind. But see, God wants a Peter who always believes when it's windy. And that's what he's after. See, he doesn't want us to always know that he can peace be still the wind. Everybody wants that. You ever heard someone who's not even a believer and the, and the tragedy say, how could God let this happen? What God? You don't even believe. Everybody wants the peace be still the wind. But God wants people who trust him when it's still windy. It is easy to evaluate the character of God in the midst of the wind blowing and forget that he's standing with us. And if we focus on the circumstances of what's happening, we will sink. The question is, do you have the courage to say, Lord, help me? Not stop the wind from blowing. I'm not saying don't pray that, don't ask that. But attach not my will, your will be done. Do you have the courage to say, Lord, save me? The wind is intentional. His presence is intentional. And there's one more intentionality beginning in verse 32. So Jesus says, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 32 says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So when the wind, is in, the wind is intentional, when we believe his presence is intentional, then our worship should be intentional. Should be intentional. They got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him. Truly, you are the son of God. Now, oftentimes we think of worship as like what we do the first 30 minutes before the preaching. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think that when they got in, when Jesus and Peter got into the boat, that all of the other dudes broke out in song. Mighty are you, Jesus, I saw you walk upon the That's not what happened. That wasn't the worship they talk about. Those dudes didn't get up and sing hymns to worship him. You know how they worshiped him? They worshiped him by saying, you are the son of God. You are who you say you are. That's how we worship God. So even in the midst of the winds that we're experiencing, we say, Lord, we trust you. You are the son of God. You are sovereign. Even though we're so used to saying those words, they're true. That's how we worship the Lord. And song and all the other things are a part of it. But the worship of God, at least in this scene, is saying, I believe you. I believe in who you are, even if it doesn't change what's happening to me. I mean, imagine the Christians in those Middle Eastern countries who are standing before the sword of ISIS. We watch these things on television, if, if those of us who have the stomach to have seen that. These are believers. They refuse to reject Jesus Christ, and they get beheaded. Can you imagine what the wind is like for them when they get captured? When they know that immense torture pain and suffering awaits them in the next any moment until death and they still refuse they still refuse and we're over here fighting over rights and stuff crying about stuff that the other countries are like huh you hate your president like what 
Man, we ain't had a good leader in 300 years in this nation. We can't even go out in public and, and, and preach and, and share the gospel. If I share the gospel over here, I get killed on sight. Y'all can share the gospel everywhere and you're too busy focusing on everything but the souls of the people that you are around. Truly you are the son of God is how they worship them. Lord, we trust you. We believe you. We trust in the Lord. Psalm 32.10. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Proverbs 3.34. We wait for the Lord. Isaiah 30, 18. We fear the Lord. Psalm 31, 9. We love the Lord. Exodus 25 and 6. We turn to the Lord. Isaiah 55, 7. We take refuge in the Lord. Psalm 31, 19. We seek the Lord. Psalm 34, 10. We repent to the Lord. Isaiah 59, 20. We have faith in the Lord. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. These are ways that we say, truly, you are the son of God. If you are sinking this morning, do not feel condemned. It is okay, church. It's okay. Jesus did not condemn John the Baptist. He didn't condemn Peter. Because if he did, he would have let him keep sinking. The question you may need to consider, and may, I'm not one of your elders, I don't know. But the question you may need to consider is how long are you going to continue sinking? And or do you know how to say, Lord, save me, and to begin that process of getting out? Some of us may need to humbly admit that I've been focusing on the wind so long, I don't even have confidence that it'll stop blowing or that Jesus is with me. And that's okay. Some of us may need to say, yeah, I'm asking Lord save me, but I still uh, wish the wind would stop too. You see, if you notice in the story, the wind didn't stop till they got in the boat. It didn't stop when he reached out his hand and pulled Peter up right away. It stopped once he, they got in the boat, Peter and Jesus. And they didn't break in the spontaneous song. They just said, wow, you really are who you said you are. If you're struggling this morning, here's one thing you can do. All of us in this room, unless you're a brand new Christian, and you're probably like, man, what are these people talking about? Man, I'm on fire for God. Whenever I hear somebody say, I'm on fire for God, I'm like, you're a new Christian, aren't you? <laughs> because you're a new believer. Press on, brother. Come see me this time next year. Here's my number. Text me. You'll be back on fire for the Lord. I hear you. Wait till you go through something. That water's going to come in real strong. Cool that fire off. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you can't pursue the Lord. I'm just saying it just makes me laugh how people just be indignant. Like, man, you, you know, we need to go out there and do this. Oh, okay. Okay. I hear you. You know, come talk to me when you don't love your wife anymore. Come talk to me when your children walk away from the Lord. Come talk to me when you don't like what your leaders are doing and you're tired of them. Come talk to me when God allows you to experience some chronic pain and you're suffering. 
Come talk to me when you want to have a child and you can't get pregnant and you've been praying for the Lord to ask that. Come talk to me when you need a job and you're suffering and you can't work or you have a job that you're being harassed and you can't stand that job. Come talk to me when that happens. Come talk to me when the wind is really blowing and then tell me you're on fire for God. Come talk to me then. Come talk to me when you lose a loved one suddenly. No, that wind blows. And spoiler alert, he's probably not going to stop it. At least not yet. But he wants us to say, help me, save me. And truly you are the son of God. It's hard. But it's not impossible. If you are struggling today, it's okay, brothers and sisters. You're in good company. If 1 Peter 4 is right, he says, man, our brothers and sisters are suffering the same things around the world. You're in good company if you're struggling today. As your friend and as your brother, I just ask you, don't be satisfied with sinking. Don't be satisfied with sinking. It's hard. But the Lord will help you. And it's not going to be just his arm. He's going to help you through the people that you're around. For his glory and our good. Amen? Let's pray.